text for Pastor John's sermon this morning is taken from Hebrew chapter 13, beginning at verse 8 and going up to verse 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is well that the heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited their adherents. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now what we've seen in the last two weeks in this text is that the Christian life consists in three sacrifices that we are called upon to make to God. First, the sacrifice of praise, which we read in verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The second sacrifice that the Christian life consists in is verse 16, the sacrifice of a shared life. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And now today we look at number three, the sacrifice of suffering which is found in verse 13 and 14. Let's read those again. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city which is to come. Now, I think it's plain if you read in context that verse 13 is picking up on what happened in verse 12. Jesus also suffered outside the gate. That is outside the camp in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. So Jerusalem is being pictured as the camp that's referred to in verse, in verse uh, 14. And uh, Jesus is evicted from the camp, taken by force outside the camp to Golgotha and there nailed to a cross and killed like a common criminal between two thieves. That's what verse 12 is referring to. And now the author of Hebrews looks at you and me this morning. And he says, OK, let's go. Let's go. Let's go with him outside the camp and bear his abuse, the abuse he endured. That's what it means to be a Christian. In the third place. Now, Jesus said the same thing in words that are so similar, everybody can catch it. He who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For he who would save his life by staying in the camp will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake outside the camp, bearing my abuse, will save it. You just can't miss that this teaching runs right through the New Testament. Now, Jesus made real clear, however, that we should not take that teaching too far. You might say, well, if everybody goes to Golgotha, everybody's going to be a martyr. But Jesus made real plain in Luke 21:16, everybody's not going to be a martyr. He said, soberly, realistically, some of you, they will kill. Which is the opposite of, well, not quite the opposite, but different from, all of you, they will kill. Some of you, they won't kill. Some of you, they will kill when you go with me outside the gate. And some of you, they won't. But everybody must be ready. Everybody takes up the cross, the instrument of execution, and goes with Jesus. And if he says die, they die. That's what it means to be a Christian. When Christ calls you to himself, as Bonhoeffer said, he calls you to come and die. And if he appoints martyrdom, so be it. If he doesn't, so be it. May the Lord do what seems good to him, as Joab said when he entered the battle. What's this camp? It says in verse 13, let us go with him or to him outside the camp. What does that mean? This writer knew that the people to whom he wrote didn't live in camps. We don't live in a camp. So what does the camp refer to? It's a, it's a picture. It's an image. Of what? Jerusalem, the camp in the Old Testament, but what is it? What in our life would it correspond to? Let's just think about the camp in the Old Testament for a minute. You remember it, how it was described in Leviticus with the tabernacle at the middle and the tents on either side? And, and uh, Outside that camp, there were wild animals, and there were marauding bands, and there were enemy Gentile nations, rattlesnakes. And besides dangers, there were outside the camp where they dumped all the refuse and where they took the animals that were too unclean to be buried in the camp. Took them outside. So it's unclean and it's dangerous. The camp then would be a place of safety and a place of uh, sanctity. You don't stay inside the camp. You stay where it's safe and comfortable and easy and uh, morally less threatening. So I think probably we could say that when this writer says, let us go with him outside the camp, he means let's leave the place of comfort. Let's leave the place of safety. Let's leave the place of religious sanctuary and... Uh, Go with Jesus to risky places and dangerous places and dirty places and threatening places. So here we got three priorities, right? Priority number one, the priority of worship, the sacrifice of praise. Priority number two, the priority of nurture, the sacrifice of a shared life. And now, what is priority number three? What is in our life going outside the camp? Well, at least it's evangelism and world missions, at least. Maybe more in terms of social engagement, but at least it is evangelism and world missions. Or to put it another way, the third priority that we must have as a church, this is not 
optional. To be an obedient, biblical church, you must worship, you must nurture, and you must resist the inertia of security and comfort. There is an immense inertia in our living rooms. An immense inertia in the bedroom and in the kitchen, in this room right here, an inertia that makes it almost like our arms are weighing a ton to make the call we ought to make. Or our legs are like like uh, jello because of the visit we contemplate that we should make. And therefore, priority number three is discovering resources to overcome the inertia of security and ease and comfort in our homes and in this camp right here. Well, what's outside the camp? Well, outside the camp is strangeness and foreignness and uncertainties. Drug dealers are outside the camp and prostitutes and pimps are outside the camp and your unbelieving colleagues are outside the camp and your unbelieving classmates and neighbors are outside the camp and Let's make real clear that we realize that outside the camp in the wilderness, there are some muddy, murky, steamy places. And outside the camp in the wilderness, there's some tall glass office buildings with oak paneled offices and floor to ceiling glass windows. That, too, is outside the camp. With its own kinds of threats. And perhaps most tragic of all, outside the camp are all the unreached people's of the world who have never heard the gospel and have no church in them at all. Now, God says in this text, go outside the camp with my son to my son and share the abuse he shared. This is not said to just risky missionaries. This said to everybody. Go outside the camp with my son and share abuse which he shared. Or, to use the words of Jesus, let your light so shine before men. Now, that doesn't mean inside the house where there are plenty of lights. I mean, 400 lights shining in this room. That means it's dark outside. Take a light out there. Shine out there. They're all going to go into outer darkness if you don't. Or another text, go therefore and make my disciples or make disciples of all nations. Or another one. You shall be my witnesses both in the camp of Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Go with Jesus outside the camp bearing abuse with him means at least do whatever is necessary to get to people who don't have Jesus with the good news of the gospel. So the third indispensable priority of Bethlehem is to break out of the comfortable camp and move in the world where it's dark and risky and foreign and uncomfortable and dangerous. Hebrews 13, 13 says it very plainly. Get outside the camp and when you go, it's going to hurt. It just says, take the hurt. Isn't that what it says? Let us go with him and bear abuse, bear reproach, bear the pain. Bear the scoffing. Bear the egg on your face. Bear whatever it takes. He went out. He died. He suffered. Go now with him. Stand there. And so in America, we've got some learning to do. There are a lot of places in the world where it's not hard to teach this. This is just normal Christianity. You you choose to be a Christian. You choose suffering. Period. In fact, that is where most of the world is. We today have to be taught this. We have to read it in the Bible and say, 
Oh, really? I'm supposed to be risk-taking and there's supposed to be problems and suffering in the service of Jesus? My, I must find some way to serve him. We live in a very artificial Disneyland in America. Jesus, or Paul, said this, Romans 8, 16, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might be glorified with him. Paul said it this way in Acts 14.22. He was talking about the new churches that he just planted in Asia Minor. He said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't merely mean that tribulations break into the camp. They do. I mean, there can be tribulations in the camp, in the home, and in the church. But what this text is talking about is that you are to choose As a Christian, this is your calling to go outside the camp into more tribulation. You choose tribulation, verse 13 says. You go outside where it's not safe. You choose to live in places and work in places and minister in places and talk to people and do things that are not safe. That's what verse 13 calls you to do. Choose insecurity in the world. That's what verse 13 says. Says Now, let me give you some examples. I just got back from a conference in Colorado Springs. The EFMA, Evangelical Foreign Mission Association, executives gathered, and I gave them three messages, and they gave me a lot. I listened and listened, and my heart beat fast, and I got so excited about the next ten years as we look forward to 82,000 and what it means to be a church obedient to this kind of call. And they told story after story of what God's doing in the hard places of the world For example, in Uganda today, whole cities are being wiped out by AIDS. AIDS is totally out of control in Central Africa. You're not talking just a homosexual community. You're talking about both promiscuous and non-promiscuous, both heterosexual and homosexual, little kids and old people. It's just decimating cultures. And missionaries now must choose. Do I go or do I stay? And we heard stories about missionaries with their families. Do I stay and minister to these people or do I go? Well, what does the text say? Let us go with him outside the gate bearing the abuse that he bore. We heard of Lebanon, that poor land. We can hardly imagine what it's like to be in a land that is constantly bombarded and war torn. Today, in Lebanon, most of the Christians who are left don't have the choice to leave. But there are many Westerners, many professionals, Christian professionals and Christian preachers who do. They can leave. They get opportunities to go elsewhere. And many of them cross these zones that are so dangerous day in and day out and stay right there. And when asked, why do you stay? They say, well, I'm needed. I'm called. It's outside the camp where Jesus is. And and the Bible says, go with him outside the camp. I picked up out there this list. This is a list of 150 of the biggest unreached peoples in the world. They're all over one million and there are no churches 
in these peoples. 150 peoples in this world, all of them having more than a million, some as many as 30 million people, with no witness to Jesus at all. Now, as I read down this second column here, namely the countries where these peoples are found, you know what I discovered? All of them are in countries that are hostile to Christians and missionaries and resistant to any kind of missionary visa. Now, here's what this implies. Either we will disobey Jesus when he said, disciple all the nations, all the peoples, or we will suffer to finish the Great Commission. You can get out of your mind that the Great Commission is going to be finished by a neat and fun, adventuresome missionary career after which we will retire to northern Minnesota. You can just put it out of your mind. We will pay to finish the Great Commission or we will be disobedient and God will raise up another generation to do it. So there's an agenda for the next 10 years that we can think and pray a lot about together. How many of those peoples can Bethlehem penetrate? How many can the BGC penetrate and plant a church movement in the next 10 years? The thought that we are called to live and work where it is safe is not a biblical thought. Biblical thinking proceeds on the assumption that we are called to follow Jesus outside the camp and bear abuse with him. It may mean risking ostracism or scorn at work. It may mean pain of misunderstanding as you talk to some relative about the Lord. It may mean egg on your face at school. It may mean prison or persecution in Colombia or Mindanao. The way of thinking that's going on here is very strange, isn't it? I mean, what is it with these Christians? What is it with this Bible that tells people to walk out of the camp of comfort, out of the camp of, of ease, out of the camp of security, into trouble? I mean, what is it with these Christians? Or at least their Bible. Are they naive about how bad they can be hurt and tortured in prison? Are they naive? Have they got their head in the sand? Are they pathological? They want, like masochists, to be hurt so that they can be pitied? Are they heroes so that they want their name written down in some hall of fame? Is that what makes Christians tick who obey verse 13? Well, the answer is very plain in this text, what makes these Christians tick. And it's found in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek a city that is to come. It's not naivete. It's not pathology. It's not heroics. It is childlike, unshakable confidence that we've got a city. We've got a city and it ain't Minneapolis. It is not upscale downtown. It is not any suburb. It is not any neighborhood anywhere. We've got a city whose foundation and maker is God.
And that is the secret for walking outside the gate. That's why you can leave comfort and go to insecurity. That's why you can take risks. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth and his city abide still. His kingdom is forever. There's the secret. Christians are not heroes. They're children who know their father and their reward. It's little trembling children who walk into the face of the lion because they know they've got a reward beyond. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 11? Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice in that day and be glad for what? Finish it. Great is your reward in heaven. That's the secret. We're not, we don't, good night. You know, we're scared and we don't like pain and we don't like to lose loved ones. But we've got a master. We've got a king who walked outside the camp, laid his almighty, sovereign, omnipotent arms down that we could have everlasting life. And now knowing that city awaits us, he says, come on, join me outside the camp. You stay in the camp there, you may not even make it to glory. Because your faith may not be real. Look at Hebrews 10.34. I want to show you that this way of thinking is not an isolated phenomenon in Hebrews 13.13 or in Matthew 5. Hebrews 10.34, you Christians had compassion on the prisoners and you joyfully, mark that word, put a big smiley face by it with a question mark, accepted the plundering of your property, put a big frowny face by that, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, these people are crazy, right? These people are weird. They're out of it. I mean, they didn't learn this from advertisements on television. The premise of which is bigger and better and safer and more comfort all the time, right? Isn't that the premise of every advertisement? Make it better. You deserve it. Well... This text just doesn't proceed from the same assumptions. This text is strange. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Now, why? Since they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. Or you could say, since they knew that here we have no city, but we are seeking a city that is to come. It's exactly the same reasoning. The secret of leaving the camp. To live where Tim White lived and walk where he walked and die like he died is hope that he's not dead. But singing, thrilled with the glory of God, far better than if he were here. Now, we don't believe that very strongly, and you can tell we don't by the choices we make about many things. We are pretty worldly. The world says this, and we buy it. We, we add it. We add it on to ours. And God says, leave the camp and go where you will be abused. And we say, can't mean that. 
can't mean that. The Bible and the newspaper are making it very plain to me today and probably to you that an outspoken, evangelistic, socially engaged Christian is going to be increasingly imperiled in America in the years to come. You try to get involved with the drug scene today. What do you think is going to happen to you if you make trouble for drug dealers in Phillips' neighborhood? You're going to get shot. So the world will say, well, don't do that, you know. Don't even live there, for goodness sakes. Head for Idaho. But I tell you, in the next ten years, I want to be right at the center of everything with you. I want to be your rope holder as you go to the hidden peoples. I want to stand with you as you witness in the hard places of this city, both the ritzy towers and the tough neighborhoods. I want to be with you. I want to see us win people from outside the camp. I want to see us oppose evil from outside the camp. I want to see us, along with all of God's church, plant a church in every one of these peoples. It can be done in the next five years. If we want it to be done, if God were to come with power upon us. Now, you can commit yourself to this kind of thing and pray with me about it by taking your worship folder and turning to this hymn. The Son of God goes forth to war. And I want us to sing this together as we get ready for the Lord's table. Would you stand with me and sing this as your own statement of dedication? The Lord broke the bread and gave thanks in that last night in which he was in the camp with his disciples in the comfort and the security of the upper room camp. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he gave it to them. And then he took the cup and they all drank of it. And he said, uh, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. And then he said, truly, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new in the kingdom. And I read that in relationship to our text, and I said, I think I could paraphrase that like this. He said, I've enjoyed drinking and eating with you men, my 12 disciples, for a long time in the city, in the camp. And now I realize what that city means and what it's going to do to me. It has nothing to offer me anymore. In fact, it will kill me. But I have a kingdom. And for the joy that is set before me, Hebrews 11:2, for the joy that is set before me, I will endure the cross. And then the next verse says, and they sang a hymn and went out. I couldn't help but read that. Went out in relationship to verse 13 of our text. They sang a hymn. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing a hymn and go out. And so I've been praying that I could invite uh, all of you to this table to eat and drink properly. That means as believers. And I pray, Lord, would you bring to the service today some unbelievers? 
People who haven't confessed Christ, who don't know Christ, who don't love him and follow him, and who haven't committed their lives to him, bring them, because I want to invite them to this table and tell them how to get here and how easy it is and how wonderful it is to get here. And so it may be that he answered my prayer, and I'm looking sort of at somebody out there who's not Christ's yet. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it says in 1 Timothy 1.15. He bore our sins in his body on the cross in order that he might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous, that we might be clothed with his righteousness. He who confesses with his lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. For God is rich unto all who call upon him. For all who call upon the Lord will be saved from all sin. And so Jesus stands here, as it were, at this table with his arms and says, You can eat with me today. This is made for believers, but you can become a believer that fast. By the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. And we're going to pray in just a minute. Remco is going to lead us. And while he prays, I beseech you, all of you, confess Christ as Lord. Affirm in your heart, yes, God raised him from the dead. Believe, yes, he's reigning in heaven. Yes, he's coming again. Yes, his death is sufficient to cover all my sins. Yes, if I believe him, I'm clean, I'm acceptable. I can eat this with everybody else here. And I can walk out of this place Yes, he did say, right into trouble. But, oh, it sounded so right. It sounded so good. It sounded like something worth dying for. I just think that's the kind of thing the Lord's doing in many hearts right now. Yes, it's scary, but it's just so right. I mean, that's the way I want to spend my life. I don't want to spend my life tucked away in the comfort of some nice house. I want to be out there where the needs are. Even unbelievers might be feeling that tug, and that's the tug of God Almighty. To come to the Jesus who gave himself for you and now invites you to the most meaningful, significant existence you could possibly have. The obedience of faith.